400 trillion dollars of fiat shit in the world, okay? Bonds, stocks, cash. This is a, it doesn't include real estate, just fiat shit. 400 trillion dollars, okay? 1 trillion dollars of Bitcoin, 5 trillion of tradable gold. There's 10 or 11, but that includes museums and central banks and jewelry and stuff. 5 trillion of tradable gold, 1 trillion of tradable gold mining companies. So that's 7 trillion of sound money stuff, okay? 400 trillion of paper stuff being controlled by governments that are absolutely convinced that they need to continue to grow that number to keep the economy going. What happens when some piece of that 400 says, holy shit, I'm getting my ass handed to me here. I'm losing purchasing power at five or 10% a year like they are right now, right? I gotta get into some of the sound money shit. So how much of that 400 has to trace chase the seven to make the seven become 14 or 21? Not much. Yeah. Now, and, and by the way, you know, the one of Bitcoin is a smaller number than the five of gold. So it takes five trillion of additional demand to double the value of the gold. Whereas it, you know, one trillion of additional demand will double the value of Bitcoin. So you can see why Bitcoin's going to do much better than gold, right? But they're both going to go up. Gold is the gateway drug to the heroin of Bitcoin. And there's no Narcan out there, folks. This is the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast, a show where average Joe firefighters explore the most important monetary technology of the 21st century. We talk Bitcoin, we talk finance, and we talk shit. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back into the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast. Josh and myself, Dan, start off the year chatting with well-known sound money manager and thought leader, Mr. Larry Lapard. Larry is managing partner at Equity Management Associates, and he's spent his entire career as an investor. He possesses a profound and fascinating understanding of financial markets and monetary history. Larry was a tech investor through the rise of the internet, and he had a front row seat to watch the dot-com boom and bust. He's also been a sound money advocate his entire life. Since the great financial crisis, he's focused almost exclusively on sound money investments, including gold, silver, and more recently, Bitcoin. In this episode, the three of us cover a mixture of topics, including will Bitcoin replace or overtake gold, coping with Bitcoin volatility and why Bitcoin's volatile in the first place, threats the government poses against Bitcoin, blind spots Bitcoiners may have, inflation and hyperinflation, how Bitcoin resembles the rise of the internet, what purpose gold might serve in one's portfolio, and why certainty in any investment is something to be avoided. You can follow Larry on Twitter at Lawrence Lapard, and you can learn more about his investment firm at EMA2.com. If you are enjoying the Blue Collar Bitcoin podcast and you want to support us, check out the support section down in the show notes and like, subscribe, or rate us on YouTube or whatever podcast app you're using, including all Podcast 2.0 apps. Now, without further ado, enjoy this rip session with sound money legend, Larry Lapard. All views and language expressed by the hosts and guests in this podcast are solely their personal opinions and do not reflect their employers or organizations they are associated with. Do not treat any of the content in this podcast as investment advice or as an inducement to follow a particular strategy. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Larry, welcome to the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast. Oh, thanks, Dan. Very nice to be with both you guys. Uh, nice to meet you, Josh. Um, nice to meet you. I'm very highly recommended by, by my friend Greg Foss, who I have enormous respect for. Foss the boss. I think he's kind of losing it. Foss. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. He's awesome. 
He's been on twice and we have him scheduled again. So, uh, yeah, needless to say, we're uh, big fans as well. And um, Josh and I have been on a few week sabbatical, if you will, here. We went hard in 2021, took a little break. So we're excited to kick off 2022 with you. There's so much we want to cover. It's a little bit overwhelming. Tell me where you want to go and I'll do my best to answer. Let's just start with your background. Enlighten us on and our audience on your backstory and experience. Yeah, I'll try and make it quick. I think a lot of people know this. I, I grew up in the Midwest, Ann Arbor, went to college, went to Wall Street, worked there for a few years, got an MBA, got out of that. And I've basically been an investor since I graduated from business school. So I've been in the money management business. I started in the venture capital world uh, in 83. So we're investing in disk drives and PCs. And I went through all the technology cycles, all the way to the top of the internet boom in 2000. I was lucky I started buying internet stocks, private ones in 93. So it really worked out well. And, um, you know, it was, um, it was a case of, um, um, you know, be careful what you wish for. It worked out so well that it kind of became a mania. And then I was trying yeah. to, you know, get out of it. And, uh, um, you know, and, and by the way, the internet uh, and Bitcoin, there are a lot of parallels. I'm sure we'll talk about that. But anyway, I kind of retired uh, in the early 2000s, like 2003 or four, just kind of slowed down, unwound the venture capital work I was doing and started spending time coaching my kids' teams. And so I was kind of hanging out in 2008 and, <laughs> and the GFC hit, right? And I thought I had enough money that I'd be okay no matter what happened. And of course, when they printed all the money they printed at the GFC, it was a real kind of eye opener or come to Jesus or, you know, whatever you want to call it, epiphany for me that, oh my God, these people are going to trash these currencies and I don't have enough money. And so I, I, I immediately, I'd always been a sound money guy, you know, gold coins, grandfather was a gold bug, uh, but, but never, you know, hadn't been the focus. I'd been investing in technology and oh eight occurred. And I was like, wow, this is different. And so I realized that I had to get into things that were going to start to protect me from monetary debasement which in 08 was just stunning what they did. Yeah, it was. So I, I you know, went out and educated myself on gold, silver, and gold, silver mining companies, started a fund, or I, I had a fund. I pivoted the fund into doing those things exclusively. And since that time, I've been, you know, a gold and silver stock picker, so to speak. Um, but while in parallel, watching the Bitcoin thing evolve, I bought some coins in 2013. And, um, you know, I, I had skepticism, but interest, uh, because I could see it was a sound money alternative. And, you know, time and information got me more and more convinced that it, it is now, you know, probably the ultimate solution to the sound money issue. Um, but I've got a lot of legacy investors who think they bought a fund that's investing in gold miners. And so I'm not going to just throw that overboard. And, right. and I think there's plenty of room for both of them to be successful on a go forward basis. Um, you know, they have different characteristics. Each is, each is good in its own way. And positives and negatives to gold, they're positives and negatives to Bitcoin. So. Um, so that's where I'm at right now. I manage this fund. I, I'm also very active in the sound money community as a spokesperson. I gave a big speech at the New Orleans show and I feel very passionately about sound money. I mean, above and beyond, you know, making money, uh, my, my kind of mission in life as I see it is to try and return the, the country to the standards that the country was built upon, which is the constitution said only gold and silver could be money. And that's because the, the founders knew that sound money was an important characteristic to ensuring fairness. Uh, in financial dealing. And I'm, unfortunately, we've drifted a long ways away from that. And I think a lot of the problems that we see in society are a function of that drift. And that's why on Twitter, I go under the handle, uh, fix the money, fix the world. Because I think if we fundamentally fix the sound money issue, a lot of other things will get fixed. And so you kind of, you know, it's, it's people talk about draining the swamp. The swamp, in my view, is unsound money. 
and the drain is Bitcoin and gold. So I couldn't agree that's more. How I see it. I wanted to ask you about so just going back to your background a little bit. You you yeah. have a master's in econ, correct? Yeah, uh, actually MBA, master's in business. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm sorry, but but I had an econ degree undergrad, and I that's what of course wanted. I didn't get taught Austrian economics in college. That's for sure. That's what I wanted to ask you about. So after having gone through those courses and and doing that kind of um, traditional econ um, yeah. course structure, what how has that reconciled in your mind? when you kind of got through and, and interested in Austrian econ, like how do, do you see, is there any room for inter overlap there at all? Well, I mean, the, the, the structure that's talked about by Keynes and, and macro and all the college courses you take, I mean, they all do kind of outlay the structure of money banking and fractional reserve and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So you kind of learn how the system works, you know, no matter how bad the traditional econ education is. The problem is they just never expose you to the right model. <laughs> You know, they think the Keynesian model lives and breathes and is the only solution. And, right. you know, that Paul Krugman is God. And, you know, once you once you get out of school, you start to see how the real world works. You look at markets, you look at the volatility, you look at a lot of things that are going on. You you quickly discover that, you know, their model really isn't very predictive or useful uh, in terms of, you know, betting on, you know, money, interest rates, banking, et cetera. And so you start looking for alternative models and, you know, the most obvious and it, the, the deeper you go down the, you know, most people in Bitcoin have gone down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. Well, often before you go down that, you go down the Austrian economics rabbit hole. And once you start down that, you can't stop. And of course, that's that's the great value, in my opinion, of Safe's book, because, you know, it took that it, the first half of that book really doesn't talk about Bitcoin, just talks about Austrian economics. Yeah, it's and great. He taught a whole generation of young people things that I've known for a long, long time. And I I, I learned them by reading von Mises and Hayek and, you know, Rothbard and, and you know, great Austrian writers. And you, we could all see that the system was wrong and broken. But boy, talk about being in a minority. I mean, you know, we were like 1% of, yeah. of the economists in the world, right? The, the Keynesian stuff seems like it, it seems like it is, it's got a solution and an end. And then it's just a work. How do we solve this for the answer to this equation? You know what I'm saying? It doesn't really... Yeah. It, whereas Austrian has a more first principles uh, basis for its ideas, and these lead where they lead, the Keynesianism always struck me as it's we have a solution and we need to figure out how to get to the solution. Well, that's right. I mean, I think I think the fundamental issue that's what's wrong with Keynesianism is it it's really a statist philosophy of you know, and and it it, it very conveniently made John Maynard Keynes powerful, and it it mm. very conveniently makes anybody who pushes it powerful because yeah. it says that you you need the state to manage the money, to control the economy, to control spending. And of course, it's now even gone to a more extreme, you know, I, I kind of, Keynesianism on steroids is MMT, right? Right. I mean, it's, right. you know, the state should determine how the money is spent and printed and we can print money out of nothing and so forth, so on and so forth. So, so yes, you're right. <laughs> the other interesting thing about the Keynesian thesis is that unquestionably, it's gotten us into the largest credit bubble mankind has maybe ever seen. Well, that's right. Although markets may appear okay right now, it's undeniable mathematically, and this is where we love to bring in the FOSS numerator, denominator, it's never yeah. going to catch up. I've seen, I think maybe even your pin tweet is just like watching the lines go in opposite directions. It is my pin tweet, yeah. We're, we're at a point of fragility in terms of where leverage is at that it I just don't know how you could ever argue against that reality. So clearly this system has gotten us to this current predicament and there's going to be some unwind 
or discomfort as this thing corrects itself. I think that's right. And I think, it, as you pointed out on many of your other podcasts, I mean, it's just math. I mean, it's just math. You can't grow the debt load faster than the underlying GDP, which services it without eventually having a, you know, becoming a problem. I mean, Herbert Stein, who was one of Nixon's economists, had a great line. He said he created what he called Stein's Law. It's pretty basic. He said, if something cannot go on forever, it will end. Right. Yeah. <laughs> now, there's some question about when. And, um, and you know, I, I've been I have to say, I've been kind of shocked at how long they've kept this whole thing going. You know, there were people who thought it was all over in the 70s. Right. The recent podcast, I, I don't know if, Dan, you listen to it or not, but Preston's most recent one with Mauricio from Ledin. He was a, yeah. he's from Venezuela. And Preston asked him the question about how when the hyperinflation happened in Venezuela, what were some of the things that you noticed going on? And some of the points that just stuck out in my mind were assets like cars, people were raving about how they sold them four years after they had bought it for more than they had paid at retail. The stock market was booming. I mean, there was another one that I'm it's not coming to mind right now, but it was like hair raising to listen to his checkboxes of like, how did this early hyperinflation start in Venezuela and comparing it to what we're looking at now in the entire world all at once. It is some really shortages of labor. Check shortages of right. goods. Check housing prices going up quickly. Check people I mean, not wanting to work. You know, yeah, people don't want to work because there's no point in it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's one thing I you know I love how I was actually rewatching for the seventh time. I don't know how many times I've watched it, but that thirty minute video that Ray Dalio has that's like how the economic it's machine a great works, video. which is basically just a synthesis of his book, you know, the big debt crisis yeah. and. One of the things that I, the simplest uh, tactics that Dalio uses to distill complex economic principles is to just bring it back to the individual. So back to what we were talking about a second ago, you cannot have exponentially increasing debt load personally that just year over year exceeding the income you're bringing in and not reach financial ruin at some point in your life. I mean, so take it back to the individual, then zoom out into the broad context it's such a helpful tool to understand the dynamics that are at play in the broad economy. I completely agree. It's, it's, it's a great model. The, the difference between the individual, though, and the state is the state can print the money, mm-hmm. you know, and the individual can't. So the state can maintain, you know, the artifice longer than the individual. And that's where it becomes insidious, because if we just had nation state default because they were stupid fucks, then <laughs> the system would be simple. Right. But instead we can have the shadow tax of inflation, which covers up these issues. So it, it, it makes it even more dangerous and precarious in that sense. Yeah. And, and in the past, it might've been one nation would do something stupid. And of course they would get punished, yep. but people had a way to hide out somewhere else. I mean, if you're in Weimar, Germany and you own dollars or, or pounds or gold, you were fine. You had someplace to hide, you know, and there were jokes about how in the cafes the people who you know, we're laughing the loudest and spending the most. They said, you know, the, the comedians would say, well, you guys, you guys clearly own pounds, you know, because, <laughs> because everyone else was getting roasted by the local inflation. So, so yes, it's, um, it's a real problem. And it, it's mathematically certain that this system will fail. There are issues about how quickly. And, and that's, that makes it very tricky because as Keynes did rightly say, you know, the market can be irrational longer than you can be solvent or stay solvent. Mm-hmm. And so there are challenges to how to play this, right? Dalio <laughs> talks a lot about his, uh, in the 80s, he, he kind of formulated this thesis that there was going to be a debt crisis yeah. in, uh, in the um, South American countries. But the yeah. way he played it, basically, he got completely destroyed by the whole situation. Like it, it 
fan, it panned out in a way he didn't expect. He bet everything he had on it, and it he was literally borrowing four thousand dollars from his dad. I, I remember reading about that because he yeah. blew up. The yeah. thing that worries me a little bit is when we're all so sure of something, um, and you know mm. we're all speculating the same way. Ever this group think thing, and I'm not saying I don't think that Bitcoin is the answer here, but the blind spots are what you keep me up thinking about it. You know, like how could we be wrong? Yeah, well, that's that's a very smart way to approach all investing because, and when I see people saying something's an absolute lock or certainty. That always, you know, greatly concerns me because there, you know, there are probabilities involved. I mean, and I didn't blow up entirely the way Dalio did, but when I, by starting in gold in 08, you know, I, I did very well for three years. And then we had this mid-market correction and I, I damn near close to blue. I was there too. I did the same yeah, thing. Yeah, I watched that I when net worth go down the shitter, uh-huh. you know, with the big gold correction from 1900 to 1050. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's smart to be thinking about that. And it actually even argues you know, I know there are people who are in the Bitcoin space who just, you know, why would I ever want to hold gold? And, um, you know, I'm not suggesting that, you know, you should hold, you know, more gold than Bitcoin. I know personally I don't, but, um, you know, there, there are advantages to gold. I mean, there, there really are. And we don't know how this is all going to unfold. Uh, so holding something, I mean, it, I, I believe in investing. There's, there's a lot of utility in being diversified amongst a number of things. Having said that, I would say most of my bets are in the sound money space. I, I probably the remaining wealth I've got is in some kind of modest real estate that has low tax rates because the problem with real estate is the government has a first claim on it with the property tax. Yeah. Along this topic, let's let's peel back the onion on what you think are some blind spots amongst Bitcoiners. We we talked a little before we recorded, like, yes, it's true. There is a brand new cohort of, in many cases, hyper intelligent, well researched well-meaning Bitcoiners, but a lot of us, Josh and myself included, on a relative basis are new to this game. And I'm sure at least in the beginning, when you started to encounter this space, you know, you were looking at the Bitcoin community with maybe a skeptical eye or at least leaning on your experience and understanding how new people are to this game. Give us sort of your size up on what do you think maybe some things are that Bitcoiners are missing? Yeah, it's, let me just, let me, let's go back even a bit further. Cause you said, you know, you started the question you sent me was what makes Bitcoin so special? So let's, I want to, cause I'm going to criticize Bitcoin a little bit. I want people to understand that I'm a hundred percent in the Bitcoin is going to win camp. Okay. I mean, it's all the Byzantine generals problem. It's a technological breakthrough. Uh, it, it will be the, it's the, it, you know, in the next halving, it's the best stack stock to flow. I mean, Look, I, I think Bitcoin wins. Okay, I don't, you know, I don't have any dispute about that. All right, ha- having and it will ultimately, it is digital gold. It'll ultimately replace gold. Uh, the time frame, I, I do have a very big dispute with a lot of people in the Bitcoin community on that because people just kind of think it's going to happen instantly, and that's just not the way markets work. It, it, right. It's not going to happen yeah. instantly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it, but it is happening, and it should, you know, as as Tudor Jones says, it is the fastest horse in the race, in the debasement race by far. I mean, it, look at it's crushing gold on a on a compound basis. Um, you know, so people tend to fall in love with assets. I mean, and and they tend to lose perspective about how long years are and how much compounding can benefit you. And I'll give you a good example. I mean, I've got my you know my weightlifting coach is a Bitcoiner. And, you know, I lifted with him this morning and he was kind of depressed. You know, he's like, well, shit, it's at 47,000, you know, and I mean, <laughs> he's got a much lower cost basis. And I was like, dude, you know, he's, you know, because and it's 47 down from 69. And I was like, dude, it's up 300 percent last year. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, this this happens. Right. This is this is the way, you know, 
I mean, this, this is the way markets work. I mean, they breathe, right? And, mm-hmm. and you know, yeah. this is something that most of your audience doesn't want to hear. But, I mean, it's, it's entirely conceivable to me that it's going to go lower than 47. I mean, perhaps, sure. perhaps a lot lower than some people might be comfortable hearing. Do you, do you know what I mean? It's what it does. I mean, look <laughs> at what it did in the COVID liquidity shock, man. Yeah, it's kind of what it does. I mean, and that's one of the things. I mean, we, after this uh, is over, I, and if you post it, I'll post my volatility chart because I think it's something everybody should be aware of. Whenever you look at an asset, it's very helpful to kind of look at the track record of the asset, right? Well, you know, in the case of Bitcoin, you got to look at the track. I mean, this thing has had multiple big, big corrections, okay? And as it gets, you know, and why is that? Because it's volatile. Why is it volatile? Because we're trying to put an ocean into a swimming pool, okay? And, and the swimming pool's got to grow and so on and so forth. And as long as that volatility exists, you know, people have to be very aware of it and they have to think carefully about it and they have to decide how am I going to feel if and when this asset goes down a lot. And, you know, I've seen stories on Twitter of guys who were very levered up and they literally in this last rush, you know, down, they literally got blown out. I mean, they owned a coin or two and they lost it because, you know, they were levered three or four to one and and it went through all the stops and they couldn't get out in time. And, you know, boom, there goes. I mean, tragic, right? And so so I, I would say probably the biggest thing that I see is I see a lot of overconfidence about how long-term right people are. And they are, in my opinion, they're definitely long-term right, but they're not necessarily thinking through the implications of how we get from here to there. And if they're using a lot of leverage, they may not make it. They may not hold the asset on the other side. I mean, I was buying Bitcoin at 14, you know, in 2014 at three, 400 bucks a share or three hundred bucks a coin. I was buying it at 2017 at the, you know, Thanksgiving Rush at 17, 18, 19,000. I just went back and looked at my records. And I paid 19,000 in 2017. Guess what? When it went to 10, I was buying more. And when it was at 3,500, I really went crazy and, and more than almost doubled, well, doubled down a little bit more so, actually. So, so the point is that, you know, this is something, if you believe in it long term, you got to be prepared to hold it long term. And of course, throughout all of that, I was never using any leverage. So right. I'm a very big opponent. You know, this, this thing has got so much alpha and so much upside. But you don't need to be greedy and lever it up, you know, and have the risk of losing it. And by definition, if you lever it up, you've probably levered it up in an exchange. And there's another issue in risk, right? Mm-hmm. You right. don't have your keys. And, you know, what happens yeah. if your exchange becomes Mt. Gox? I mean, it hasn't happened, but that doesn't mean it can't happen again. Right. So you, you kind of, in my view, I think some people in the space have not fully considered all the risks. And, and the other time I saw a little bit of silliness going on. And I just, I had to smile kind of a little bit of Schadenfreude when, when everyone was buying plan B, right? And everyone said, okay, you know, we're, I mean, by the end of the year, we're going to be at 100, 150 and, you know, Max is saying 200. I thought, God, God bless him. I sure hope all that comes true. But boy, everyone and their brother believed it, right? And there was something, something in my spidey sense just said, you know, I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, I just don't think so. I think, you know. I mean, this sounds to me like a guy who's modeled something and maybe his model's right and maybe it's not, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to lever up because I know it's going to be at 150 in the next six months. Right. You know, it's often said like markets move in the direction of most pain. And one of the things that Josh and I joke about, but we're also serious is we'll text each other. We try to disassociate from our emotions and we'll be like, what is your 
animal brain telling you yeah. like and when and it's amazing how well this works like when you're at peak despair yes. the market often turns yep. up to, to euphoria and when you're at peak euphoria the market often turns the other way i mean this is i wouldn't bank on this metric but that lesson right there if everyone listening to that could just learn and absorb that lesson right there you would be you would improve your investing results in enormously i mean i'm, yep. I'm 64 years old it took me 20 years to learn that lesson I, and you know that the hard thing is is like you can you can logically understand that, but being right. able to actually overcome that animal instinct to do exactly the wrong thing at the exact wrong time is damn near impossible. It's really tough. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, it, it's um, yeah, it is. But I tell, let me let me say this because you guys I think are a bit younger than me. It gets easier over time based on pattern recognition. I mean, when I was buying Bitcoin at thirty five hundred, you know, and a lot of people said, "Geez, you really fell for that whole Bitcoin thing, didn't you?" And I was kind of, you know, deep inside, I was kind of like, no, this is going to work. I, I, you know, this, this is definitely going to work. And I'm getting a friggin' deal right here. I'm pretty excited about this, right? You know, you know and, and there've been other times on the sales side where I've been kind of like, you know, this is, a, there's a lot of frenzy here. I mean, I know in, in 99 and 2000 in the internet world, I was like, boy, this is insane. My partner and I looked at each other and said, we, we got to be the only two guys in the world who believe a company's worth future discounted cash flows. We were trying to sell everything that wasn't nailed down, right? <laughs> you know? and, I mean, you can, so, so that with time and experience, you can see and, and you develop more conviction, but you're right. It goes against what, you natu- what your instincts are telling you. I, I think there is a wise caution here though. And that's, especially now that we're putting out some content and getting even just a little bit of a following and people are asking us questions. One mistake I think we can make is we we are educating people as though they have the same level of conviction and understanding that we do, right? So everybody's at a different gradient, you know what I mean? We're obviously not experts, but we're, you know, we've held this thing for four and a half, five years. We've watched it. We have a, a broader understanding of markets and economics. We're probably a couple thousand hours deep studying it. When we talk to somebody that just discovered this, as though they have the same exact understanding as we do, that's not fair. And that's why it can be difficult to tell people what to do because completely agree. you have this tremendous conviction. You understand these fundamentals. You get what's going on and how the incentives are going to play out, but that person doesn't. And so if they get overexposed in a position, they're going to end up hurting themselves. Com- com- completely agree. And, and, and I, you know, look, I, I look at a guy like Sale who's brilliant, right? And he's an engineer and he, he, you know, he figured it out and his analysis is dead on, right? Okay, great. But when he suggests to people that they should lever their house to buy this, you know, I, I as a financial guy, I'm just like, oh, dear God, please don't say that because somebody might actually follow that advice. Oh, there's for do sure it, people doing it. Not knowing what they got you know, and then not able to sustain the downturn. And then they get blown out of either their house or their Bitcoin or both. Right. Oh, this narrative. So this is something we've talked about on this show quite a bit, Larry. So that when you start talking to like our demographic, right? right? So we're picturing conversations at the firehouse and you start telling people debt is good. Now this may be true. Like obviously mathematically, if you understand the dynamics here, the speculative attack and you, you have reliable good cash flow that can service the debt and you know what you're doing, sure, there's absolutely a time and a place. But the problem is when you tell the average Joe right. debt is good, well, they just take out another credit card or they go buy another stupid car. They accumulate plastic bullshit. They don't do anything to better their situation with the debt and that ends up suffocating mm-hmm. them. So I think some people here are assuming people understand better than they do what that statement means. And so we're trying to be careful and explain that 
very important distinction between using debt to free up your cash flow to buy productive assets and just accumulating more debt and suffocating yourself. There's a, there's a massive difference there. No, absolutely. It's, it's, can you service the debt and not lose the asset? The look, the, the way I recommend people to buy it is dollar cost averaging. I mean, I've got an account at Swan every week I buy Bitcoin, you know, and, and then I've got a bunch of money in gold and gold stocks that, you know, let's say, let's say for example, heaven forbid, let's say Bitcoin were to trade into the thirties. Okay. Will it? I don't know. I hope it doesn't. I don't think it will, but I don't think it's impossible. I really don't. I think there's a chance that the government moves against Tether and, you know, whatever, maybe, or maybe the government comes out with a bunch of regulations, you know, they, or, I mean, look, you got to remember, I mean, I bring the gold side to this, right? You know, in 1933, the government basically confiscated all the gold from the people. Okay. They went out the, I mean, they went out to the, you know, I mean, 6102 court should have said it's, it's illegal, but they didn't. Okay. The court ruled against him and FDR basically realized he had to do a financial reset based on the collapse. And so he went and he literally said, give me all your gold. And then, you know, four months later in 34, he revalued the, the dollar and gold terms 70% and wiped out 70%. I mean, so not only he stole your asset that would have helped protect you and then he devalued it. And then he made it illegal to own it on a go forward basis. I mean, this happened in my grandfather's lifetime. I mean, he was pissed about it till the day he died. Yeah. Right. And so <laughs> the, the point is, the point is that stuff has happened, right? I'm not suggesting the government's going to get away with that again, or they're going to try and do it again, but I'm not suggesting it's impossible either. Right. I right. mean, it, it, you know, it, this is an existential threat to these guys who run this government. I mean, and, and the smarter, when they eventually get smart enough to fully understand that, I'm not sure what they'll do. You know, I mean, I've seen what they've done in gold and it's pretty outrageous. So, so the point is that, yeah, you, you've got to, you know, those kinds of things coming down the line, those kind of pronouncements by government, could they, could they shove Bitcoin temporarily down into the 20 or 30,000 range? Oh, of course they could. Could you get into that? Um, I'm curious because we, we've spoken to a few different people about this manipulation and like the paper gold manipulation. Can you give us a primer on that? Well, I mean, I'll, just, I'll give you an example. I mean, just just to, the math is pretty simple, right? There's a certain amount of paper out there, and there's a certain amount of gold that's theoretically held in Fort Knox. That's a different story. Okay. Yeah. If you you know in '71, if you if you divided those two numbers, you got thirty five dollars an ounce. It was what it was set at. Actually, more in the '60s. By '71, the inflation had started. But you could take the paper and you could look at the gold and you say, okay, this gold's worth thirty five bucks an ounce. Okay. Um, today, if you did that same equation. Gold would need to be at $32,000 an ounce, okay? So gold's at 1800 right, roughly. So that's how much they've suppressed it, okay? They, they you know, if, if we were to go back to a gold standard to make it work with the amount of gold we've got, and you could do a fractional gold standard, the number would be different than 32, but I'm talking about full coverage gold standard. The number, the gold figure would have to be 32,000 bucks. Now, how have they pulled that off? Well, a couple ways. I mean, you guys understand table stakes poker, right? You know, table stakes poker, one of the great, you know, games out there says that you can only bet what you got on the table, right? And so if if you're the biggest player at the table and you've got a shitty hand, you can you can bluff it. Nobody can call you. You're going to win, right? By definition. So you want to be the richest guy at the table. Well, the government is the biggest player in the table stakes fiat poker game, right? So they can basically print whatever money they want. And so they can basically naked short the gold market. And they've been doing it since forever. And there's all kinds of evidence to support this. You go to Gata.org. I mean, there are books written about this. I could I could talk about this for ten hours. Do you suspect that that's what the futures market for Bitcoin is intended to do? I don't know if it was originally intended for that. 
Um, and I don't, you know, today people have asked me, is Bitcoin manipulated? Is the Bitcoin futures market shoving? Is the Bitcoin futures market having an effect on the Bitcoin price? Absolutely. Not major, in my opinion, because of its size compared to the market size of Bitcoin. It's a minor effect right now. It's, it creates some of these cascades of, of price falling down, and that's kind of leverage. But um, but yes, it could could it grow to the point where it's like the gold thing? Yes. I mean, the beauty of Bitcoin is that it came on so quickly that they didn't know it and they didn't see it and they weren't able to 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 devise a good response to it. I mean, you can bet that when it went from 10 to 50, alarm bells went off in D.C. And there are a lot of people down there working about working on it, thinking about it. They 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 recognize they've got a problem. With Bitcoin, though, I mean, different than gold is you can audit the entire supply at any time. You could, I mean, exchanges could show proof that they have what they say they have. And these futures markets couldn't quite manipulate the same way. It's not entirely right. I mean, yes, you can audit the entire chain. But re remember, in the, remember in the movie, The Big Short, where they were talking about, you know, a, a CDS and then a, a CDS squared and then a CDS yeah, yeah. cubed. I mean, so just packaging these things inside other packages. What, what, a, a futures a futures market is just somebody agreeing to sell and somebody agreeing to buy. It's not it doesn't involve delivery. But, you know, to the buyer, if the buyer thinks if the buyer is willing to trust the counterparty, the buyer thinks it was, you know, OK, I bought a Bitcoin. Now, they may not have. They yeah. may have bought a paper Bitcoin, but paper Bitcoin d does exist. I mean. Go to Glassnode, you know, the on the on chain, you know, service and subscribe and you'll see there's about 20 billion dollars of Bitcoin futures off off the exchange. Bitcoin futures There's about four trillion or I'm sorry, billion dollars. There's about four billion of Bitcoin futures on the CME. It's, it's trivial. I mean, Bitcoin trades Bitcoin that 500,000 coins move around every day. That's about 24 billion dollars worth of value. So. So the, the amounts we're talking in futures are small and they're not they're not moving the price today much. Yeah. But that could change. So what the Hunt brothers did with silver back in what yeah, was that the 80s? Yeah, great example. Yep. Isn't this exactly what they did? They saw that there was a manipulation and they decided to call yep. the bluff and buy yep. all of the actual um, yep. hot silver, right? And they, and they had them. They were they were they were going to win. Okay? They were going to basically bring down the monetary system. And you know what the CME did? It changed the rules. <laughs> it literally yeah. said they did go read about it they literally changed the rules and said there are no more there is no more buying allowed on this exchange you can only sell contracts i mean they just changed the freaking wow. rules right in the middle of the game i mean well they did the same thing with uh with gamestop earlier this year you know like exactly. Citadel can't blow up we're going to change the rules right so that's ex that's exactly well they did it to me in tw in the september of 20 2008 i mean i was short all the financials and they they outlawed the short selling of financials. Yeah, I remember I mean, I that. I basically lost fifty. You know, I, I lost five thousand basis points. Fifty. I would have been up fifty percent in two thousand eight. That's because you're an evil speculator. You're an evil speculator that was trying to crash the market. That's <laughs> it's exactly your right. fault that this happened. That's, you're that's an exactly evil speculator. Right. Well, and, and and by the way, <laughs> by the way, this time around they're gonna. I mean, I saw it last night. There was some you know idiot on Twitter. And this time around, they're going to try and blame the sound money people yes. for their failure. I've, I've been talking, Dan and I have been talking about how we think and suspect that when this thing yeah. does blow up, Bitcoin, gold, I mean, any sound money, any Bitcoin, I oh, think yeah. specifically will get blamed for this because it's a new Absolutely. entrant to this market that, and this is the reason Bitcoin's at 200,000 and this thing blew up because of Bitcoin. Absolutely. And well, all, all sound money people, I mean, we have this great system going here and you guys destroyed it. But, but the difference is, you know, it, it's just like it's just like nobody trusts the mainstream media anymore. The difference is people are going to realize 
that the currency is worthless because they printed too damn much. Yeah. It had nothing to do with, with us and what we did. When I hear Ray Dalio talk about how they're, you know, he's he's had this number, like he says, there's a 30% probability that there might be a civil war in this country or 35% we have a world war. What concerns me is that just as we're talking about this, like who trusts this system when they watch GameStop get stopped and then these Citadel guys get to cover their asses or in 2008, like people, this is like a, a cumulative thing. People start to realize that oh, yeah. this is not fair. The system isn't working for us. And all these, you know, GameStop pros, they were winning and they should have won and they should have gotten yes. a crushing blow at Citadel and yeah. the GameStop. And like how long before people just lose it when these when these institutions do this stuff? Well, you're you know, look, you're already seeing evidence of people losing it. I mean, you know, and and I mean, it's they're losing it in lots of different ways and shapes and forms. I mean, you know, Jan six was an evidence of some people losing it. I mean, you know, I look. How, how we fight back is, is you know, everyone makes their own choice on that. I mean, I think, you know, th- this is a peaceful revolution in the sense that we can, if, if we blow their system up and, and offer an alternative system, you know, eventually they just, we take the money away from them, they won't have any power. You know, I mean, if, if and, uh, you know, in my view, and I've talked to, um, you know, Jeff Booth about this, in my view, the, you know, the things will get better when our stuff works and it will work and the people who are sound money people will have a lot of money because their money has been preserved while the fiat people have not and we will you know ingrain ourselves back into government and try and return to kind of first principles and so you know candidates like ron paul and and other you know sound money advocates will get in there and and you know, I think I think the solution to this will have to be we'll go back to some kind of we'll have a reset. We'll have to go back to some kind of a sound money standard. You know, the thing that worries me, like, has there ever been a reset, peaceful reset? Has there ever been one historically? Well, ever? that's a good question. I mean, mm. you know, there, yes and no. I mean, look, the in, after after Weimar, there was a peaceful reset. They went to gold and the government and, and the economy recovered. OK. Um, and however, you know, the people were so pissed off that when, you know, Hitler came along and said, hey, it was all the Jews who did this to you. They're the ones who ruined the money. You know, there was a mass psychosis and they said, yeah, you're right. Let's go kill the fucking Jews. You know, so, um, you know, and ultimately there was another war. So, um, you know, there, in, in 2930, you know, that was an economic reset. That was, I mean, that was a debt crisis like we have today, basically, and a collapse. It was different. It was deflationary, not this one's going to be inflationary in my view. But that was a complete and total collapse. Um, but on the other side of it, yeah, a few, you know, a bit later there was a war, a big one, right? Um, so, you know, I mean, I, look, there's the whole Thucydides trap, you know, that says that as China takes power away from us, there will ultimately be a war. I, look, I try to be an optimist. Without being naive, I try to be as optimistic as I can. And I do think the human condition and, and race is evolving. I mean, there's so many good things happening in spite of all the bad shit we, we focus on. And um, I think one of the good things is it's, I think it's arguable that the fact that uh, nuclear weapons came along when they did um, kind of makes it everybody. I think everybody in this world is knowledgeable of the fact that nobody wins a nuclear war, that the one after that's fought with sticks and stones. And so I, I could argue that there, there will continue to be these little proxy wars. But at the big war level, I, I can't really see one. And I, I think we're going and we might have more of those proxy wars, but I think we're going to a decentralized society. I mean, I, I think I think the nation, the, I think the large, powerful nation state is going to die. And the reason it's going to die is it can't fund itself. Nobody wants it anymore. I mean, 
it, it came along because Henry Ford invented the, the you know, assembly line and economies of scale were really great. And we got really good at economies of scale. You're bigger, 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 cheaper, 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 faster, faster, more, more, more. And to the point where we had we had economies of scale totally nailed in the 1940s. And we were able to, you know, kill 10, 10 million people, you know, in five years. So like, wow, that was one hell of economy of scale and death, right? And and but but we learned something from it, I believe, which is that you know that, that size isn't necessarily good. Size is a problem, and that there are diseconomies at a certain point in time. And we're seeing that everywhere now. I mean, mm-hmm. all these big institutions are failing. Nobody trusts anything. I mean, do you trust big pharma? No. Do you trust big medicine? No. Do you trust the government? No. Do you trust the media? No. I mean, hey, Joe Rogan could replace the mainstream media, right? I mean, which would be a good thing, right? I think he I mean, is. I think he's doing yeah, that he right, is, right now. Yeah. I mean, nobody trusts the money. And, and, and I don't think this is, you know, just limited to the United States. I think this is in many, many places. And Russia, Russia failed without there being a war. Yeah. I mean, I, so I... You know, I think there's a possibility here that what we really see is just kind mm-hmm. of a failure of these big institutions and maybe a move to decentralization. I mean, you know, we've got people calling for a civil war. Fine. But but, you know, what, what would happen if if uh, Florida and Texas said, hey, you know what? We don't want to be part of this anymore. We'll send you a check for the defense and skip all that other shit. We don't want any of that. <laughs> you know, I mean, I wonder, too. Right? I mean, Right. I mean, I think the problem is if you're not there ahead of time, you're kind of effed. Yeah, possibly. But I guess the the point is, you know, I try to be optimistic and positive and I I see a way we can get out of this with a reset to a sound money and a move to a decentralized world and um, with a lot more freedom. Well, Dalio is optimistic. He says there's a 70 percent chance we don't have a civil war. So, I mean, that's pretty optimistic. Right. Yeah, you know, yeah. look, you know, what, what did Yogi Berra say? You know, predicting the future. I mean, it's pretty damn hard to predict the future. Who the yep. hell knows? I mean, we, none of us really know. Here's a question I have. So you definitely feel from listening to you before that this this ruse that's up with them manipulating the gold market is eventually going to snap and gold's going to go somewhere close to where it belongs. And I also know you're bullish on Bitcoin. You think it's going to trade for large numbers and they're probably going to make an attempt to manipulate it. What is going to be the precipitating force for the snap? Like, how do you see their tactics not working anymore? It's it, it comes down to, I mean, if what you're talking about is a crack up boom or what you're talking about is the transition into hyperinflation. And it's a it's very tough. I mean, the Austrian school says, and I think rightly so, that It'll occur when a large enough majority of the people realize that printing money can, I mean, we all realize they cannot stop and that mathematically they're effed, right? Mm-hmm. That, that, you know, that the underlying GDP yes. is not growing, that, debt, that, that all they're doing is increasing debt and printing money to increase debt. And we realize that, okay? But, you know, us three guys, I mean, we represent a very small microcosm of the entire country, okay? And I can assure you that most people don't realize that. And- it needs, we need to get to the point where a lot of people realize that. I mean, a lot, like a lot more than we've got now. I think maybe, I think maybe 10% of the country is aware that we've got an inflation problem and perhaps even a monetary problem. And that needs to grow a lot. And when it does, the tipping point will be, you know, just a Gresham's Law kind of event. I mean, if every bondholder said, I want out of my bonds, if every um, person said, I don't trust my bank, you know, if and went to the coin dealer and bought silver and gold coins. If everybody started saving in sound money, and this I, I made this point in my speech in New Orleans, if everybody started saving in sound money very aggressively, fiat would go away. 
it would who would who would want to hold it? You know, Gresham's law would have kicked in. Everyone would have realized. But but when does that happen, guys? That happens when a large majority of the people in their minds realize, holy shit, this dollar I have in my hand or in my bank account, it's a burning match. It, and it's burning so quick that I got to get rid of it right damn now. I mean, that's what happened in Weimar when mm-hmm. they were getting paid in the morning and rushing to buy goods before the prices got mark- marked up in the afternoon. You're seeing some of that. I mean, you're seeing it in housing, right? I mean, housing is the perfect Hugo Stinnis trade, right? Where here you are, you can buy a real asset that you need and you can lever it. The government will help you lever it and pay 3%. So you got, a, you got an asset that's going up at something. I mean, last year, year on year, houses were up 19%. You can borrow money at 3% to buy an asset going up at 19%. What an How do you not get rich doing that? I mean, it's a fucking no-brainer, yeah. right? It totally is. Yeah. So basically, the, the thesis, just to simplify this in my own head and for audience, yeah. is like as trust erodes, which we're in an environment where, like, it's interesting to think about the environment in which they've manipulated gold. Trust has yeah. still existed in the dollar, and people have been using, we'll say, gold derivatives and paper gold, right. thinking it's the same thing. But as we enter an environment where trust erodes, people are looking right. for the real thing and the demand for right. dollars is declining and you can only suppress the real thing for so long. Well, that's right. That's exactly right. I mean, you know, they they still, I mean, and there've been stories about this for years. I mean, I took delivery of some COMEX contracts and it was hard as hell. I mean, they make it very, very hard to actually get your hands on the physical. You know, they, 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 they propagandize against it all the time. They call us gold bugs. I mean, look, there's, you know, I mean, Goebbels would be proud. I mean, they've, you know, they, they have basically completely demonized sound money people, you know, and um, um, because it does not serve their interest. I mean, the state as it currently exists with the ability to print money, it's a very powerful drug for them. It's a very, very powerful drug. And they're not going to give it up easily. I mean, you asked me earlier you know, where do I think Bitcoiners maybe have a blind spot or a little naive? You know, I, I think it's with respect to just how how much is at stake here. I mean, we're playing for all the marbles and, you know, we just don't know what their moves are. Yeah. But they, you know, it's not as if they have zero, right? I mean, I've, I've seen that. It's not as if they have zero moves. Right. Well, what's interesting, what's interesting here is to watch these mayors of New York and Miami and all these politicians and whether or not they're genuine about it, they're starting to, you know, they're starting to really talk and make moves about collecting Bitcoin or their paycheck. Like, I don't remember the last time a politician started talking about gold and being like, you know what? I'm going to take my, my paycheck in gold oh, coin like, next week. Like never. <laughs> yeah. So it's an interesting, um, it, I mean, the, it's the technological I, and I hard it's, light. It. It's, it's so many different things coalescing into this being an interesting topic for people. And then, politicians wanting to just pile on in order to get some, you know, views on Twitter. But in in the long run, this is, it's incredibly different from how things happen or have historically happened. Look, it is the future and, and everyone has seen how technology has changed our lives, right? And this is, this is a technological innovation in the sphere of money. I mean, it's, it's an enormous breakthrough. It'll go down as the equivalent of the printing press. And so, you know, yeah. I mean, they ironically they 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 don't want to be left behind. I mean, and and that's that's a beautiful thing. I mean, the, that's the game theory of Bitcoin, right? I mean, you can rant against it all you want, but the only solution is to buy it. You know. Now, what I'm about to say is going to not hold true if they cut off the on ramps. But as it exists 
today, I think a lot of people are underestimating the power of liquidity in Bitcoin. So when I, I guess when I'm saying that, it's that if you have a bunch of money and you're looking to escape the current landslide, this is such an easy on-ramp right now. Oh yeah. Harnessing the power of bearer Bitcoin is, I mean, you could, you could have $4 million worth of it in 45 minutes from now, if someone's over your shoulder showing you what to do. Like, so I think that's what's crazy about this because as we move into the environment that the three of us certainly expect and people are looking for hard assets, this is such an easy, easy road. And the, the light is flashing so poignantly in front of people's faces. It's hard to imagine they're not going to move that direction. Whereas when you think of alternatives in previous dates and time, I mean, escaping into other store of value assets is more difficult. Oh, that, no, that's absolutely right. I mean, it's a, it's a thing of beauty and it's, it's one of the great strengths of Bitcoin that, you know, with 12 words, you're sovereign, right? I mean, I, I can go to any country in the world, buy a Trezor, reload my keys and, and, I'm, and I'm off and running. And so, um, yeah, I mean, and, and that was actually one of the original use cases. I mean, there were a lot of chi- wealthy Chinese people who were buying Bitcoin because they had capital controls. They couldn't easily get their money out of the country. They could fly to Vancouver opening you know an exchange somewhere there and the next thing you know they had money i mean it, it's it's a very very powerful tool it really is and i i don't think i don't think people fully appreciate that and they or they fully appreciate the value of that i mean it also has you know estate tax and, and multi-generational capabilities i mean it's you know it's like gold it's pretty easy to hide yeah. And, you know, I, I, I think they're going to probably try to, my guess is one of the moves that government will make is they'll say to us, hey, guys, you got to report your, your addresses and your coins. Now, that, that's going to be a pretty interesting discussion, right? Yeah, that'll be a tough <laughs> one for them to actually do. Well, that's right. How, wait, everyone's going to report the address of the treasure that's got half a coin on it. Right. The question is, what are you going to do with all the others, right? Funny story about just the difference between being able to custody your Bitcoin and custodying your silver and gold. So similar to, to you, Larry, back in 2008 and nine, I was big and I bought gold coins, silver coins. I had all this stuff and I decided I was going to offload in 2014. I had had enough and I was going to divest into some other things. So I prepared a box. I put a, what at the time was a huge amount of money to me in this box and I shipped it off to New York to Atmex. And the fucking thing got lost in the mail. Oh, God. Like, we're talking like five figures, big, big money for me at the time. So this thing circles New York for a week while it goes back to the post office, back to them. They wouldn't accept it because it had a hole in the box. Goes back to them. Then they send it back to me. And somehow, by, I don't know, the grace of God or something, none of these coins fell out of this box with a hole in it from New York back to Chicago. And then, uh, then I used FedEx, which is an actual decent carrier instead of the post office, which I should have never done. But the point right. is, is in order to buy these things and take custody of it, you got to have it shipped to you or you have to ship oh, it yeah. off to somebody who has to say it, who has to check it, who has to do all oh, these yeah. things. And there's a, you know, a, a weak intermediary there where your money could literally just disappear. Like if somebody would have realized what was in that box, that thing would have been gone. Absolutely. I, I was buying monster boxes from the UPS guy for years, and he was like, "What the hell is this thing?" Good thing he never knew. And it was just a, it was just a, bl- a brown box. And I was like, I was like, yeah, no, it's a, I, I, you know, I buy some heavy books and stuff, but I like, God, it feels heavier than a book. I was like, well, no, I really, it's just it's it's they're dense, but but yeah, I mean, look, and Bitcoin solves that. The flip of all that though is that you know 
those those coi those codes are like the nuclear codes, right? I mean, yep. you know, if you've got your codes, you know, you can you can you know, this this is the issue of um, what is it? You know, you can become a cyber hostage, right? I mean, you hear all these stories in Eastern Europe, the guys who were big in Bitcoin in the earlier days. You know, people could walk into their house with a gun and say, you know, transfer your key, you know, give, open your account, open your wallet, you know, use your keys and transfer those Bitcoin to me or you're dead. Right. So, you know, there, yeah. there are ups and downs to both sides. I mean, the, the solution to that is the multi-sig wallet, you know, that Unchained offers where right. you have a lot of people involved. And basically what you, you know, somebody can come and say that to you and you say, look, I couldn't transfer them if I wanted to. You know, because I've got a multi-sig with a bunch yeah. of people and, you know, go, you're going to have to kill me because you can't get my coins. Right? Yeah. But again, that opens up, you know, more more leeway to, to screw yourself because you don't understand what you're doing. So like you said, Unchained is a great place for somebody who doesn't really understand what they're doing. That's a great way to do it. But yeah, it's multi-sig can get complicated and you could fuck up and lose your money. Absolutely. It's it very complicated. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree, though. Self-custody is easier said than done. And if you... Bitcoin Twitter makes it sound like a lot simpler solution than it is for the average person. You live in that world talking to all these other gold and sound money investors. We live in that world trying to educate firemen on how to custody this. Like yep. it's there's a learning curve. Uh, you do need to take ownership over your shit. You yep. have to understand it yourself. There is still a lot of friction. There there's is. a lot of uh, things to wade through there, and there's a lot of development that needs to occur. And this is going to be a controversial statement. We're going to get kickback on this, but Safe covers this in the fiat standard. He thinks there's still going to be plenty of banking in the new paradigm. Like there, you, people are going to be willing to pay for someone to custody their Bitcoin. Now, how it's going to be fractionally reserved and how that's going to manifest is going to be very dissimilar from what it is today in the future he envisions. But there's still going to be a time and place for somebody to step in and help you. And I mean, although you're not giving your Bitcoin to Unchained, there is a lot of kickback on the unchains and casas of the world. Like a lot of Bitcoin plebs are like, fuck that, do it yourself, set up your own multi-sig. But man, people need handholding and you shouldn't take that step to self-custody until you are totally ready to do so and your inheritance planning is squared away to the T. I agree, but I think I think it's, you know, there are best practices and it is doable. Yes. I mean, I think it, to me, you know, just while we're on that rabbit hole, I mean, I think you got to buy a treasure, you got to put something on it, you got to wipe it out. You got to reestablish it using the words. You know, there's nothing like actually doing it right and seeing how it all works. And then Correct. you go, okay, I get it. You mean to tell me if I have these twelve words, I've got my coins? Okay. And now what you got to figure out is how am I mm -hmm. going to hide these twelve words? You know, in enough places that they won't get found by somebody else. But if if I have a brain cramp, I'm going to know I got a copy of them somewhere. <laughs> so. And that's what safe deposit right. boxes and other solutions are for. So, you know, there, there, there is a best practices way to hold your own coins. I think everybody should make an effort to do so because I, I do think there will be additional problems, you know, going forward. I, I, you know, either with potentially, you know, I mean, Caitlin made an interesting point in one of her threads on, um, on Twitter where she said, you know, this thing is such a wild beast and it's so volatile and these banks don't fully understand it. It's very possible that one of these guys is going to get out over their skis in the lending and borrowing a Bitcoin and blow up, you know, and, and um, you know, if that's right. where your coins are, well, then, you know, then you're Mount Gox. And, uh, you know, yeah. I don't want to be in that condition. I, I don't want to be in that position. No, Dan yeah. and I have both played that game where we've lent out a, yeah. a small portion of our Bitcoin to make some interest when it was real media at like 6%, you know, 
Yeah. And then thinking about it, like there's just so much risk in that black box. So yeah, I, I don't, to yeah. me, to me, that's, I don't need that. I just, you know, this is, this is multi-generational wealth that I'm going to store. I don't need the 6%. I just right. don't. And the other, oh, I was going to make this point earlier. The, you were talking about how, when this system does come unglued in whatever time frame that is, we have no idea, yeah. but this thing is going to be, I mean, all these guys trading, trading, you know, making a $5,000 gain here a little bit there. I mean, this is literally picking up pennies in front of a steamroller. Like absolutely, you need to be custodying at least the vast majority of this because when this does happen inevitably you're not going to be able to get your hands on it for any reasonable price and if you're trying to trade you're going to get caught off sides well that's the thing i mean that's the other thing i think some bitcoiners a lot of people in the stock market i think a lot of people in the world don't realize is that they, they've kind of assumed continuous markets you know that mark and mark continuous market pricing you know they just kind of assumed that but if you look at history and you read the history of markets there have been many times in markets when markets aren't continuous. There have been times when markets are literally shut down. You can't transact. And so, you know, um, I mean, what would happen if one day you woke up, you know, and, and gold was at $5,000? Would you be able to get your gold? Would you be able to buy any gold if you wanted to? You know, would you be able to sell your gold? I mean, and I, I actually could see, I mean, I think an even scarier possibility, of course, we'd all be very excited about this. But what if Bitcoin, in a sense, kind of went no offer at some point? went to like a million dollars a coin. I mean, that's kind of the dollar failing, but, but it might happen, you know, and, 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 and it's, you know, we'd all consider it kind of a high quality problem, but would it really be? I mean, um, what it would be saying is that, that, you know, we're, we're moving to some kind of a new numeraire that's either based on Bitcoin or based on that. I mean, I hope we have a transition that's smoother than that. Yeah, me but too. I guess the point I'm trying to make is everything's up in the air and, and, you know, Tail events do happen. I mean, that was the point of the black swan. They happen much more often than people think. If Bitcoin yeah. goes to a million dollars overnight like that, I'd be afraid to walk outside, honestly. I'd, right. be, I'd be peeping out through from my basement trying to assess if the world is blown completely apart because that is such a violent and scary thing to see. And even though we'd all be excited about it, like you said, but in order for that to happen that quickly, there's got to be a lot of carnage going on. Well, that's right. That's exactly right. I mean, you can bet that a lot of the Bitcoin brokers would have blown up. You know, you can, I mean, it, it'd be kind of like, what, what's going to work? And, you know, again, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to scare anybody, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to point out that we've, we've lived in a system. And this is, this is why the central bankers, when all this, when their thing does go, you know, pear shape, you know, they're going to try and blame all of us. And, and yet, you know, the mathematics say the thing pretty much has to go pear shaped at some point. So, you know, is it going to be in a gradual sense? I mean, I'd like to think what happens here is we get all, I mean, let's talk time frame too, because I'm sure people want to know this. I'd like to think it happens in a gradual sense. We just get more and more inflation. They do yield curve control, you know, um, it, it Price becomes controls. kind of apparent. Yeah, it, it becomes kind of apparent. And then ideally what would happen is they'd hold a monetary conference and they do a reset, you know, and they, they try to arrive at, at some kind of a neutral monetary standard to solve Triffin's dilemma. And it would yeah. be, you know, gold, Bitcoin, a combination of the two, maybe oil's in there in some form. But, you know, they, they would basically do a reset and say, we're writing down all this debt in these new terms, and this is what's going to be sound money going forward. The rumination um, about price controls is already going on in the mainstream media. Oh, yeah. You've noticed it. Yep. And they're talking, yep. um, it is scary stuff because, and for everyone listening, what price controls mean is you're going to have massive shortages because people yes. are not incentivized to actually produce anything they're not going to. They're just going to, I mean, it's like, it's like Atlas Shrugged, like John Galt. They're just going to yep. fuck off and they're going to 
tell the world to burn. Think, think, yeah, think, think World War II and rationing. I mean, hell, you know, we've already kind of got it. I mean, I lost the key to my car, and I went to the dealer the other day. I said, you know, I need another car key. And I said, well, we can't get those because there's a chip in there, and we can't get the chips. I said, okay, that's fine. How long? What do you, you know? What do you think? A couple of weeks? A month? He says, I have no idea. It could be a year. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> we got the extra that's key. Interesting. That's interesting. I mean, things are already at a supply chain level, and I've heard this in a lot of business guys I've talked to, things are already kind of starting to break down a bit. I mean, have, have, you know, we've all been in stores where the shelves are somewhat empty or they're having a hard time getting things, right? When the price, when the money is broken and the price signals are broken, the system, it doesn't work. And then what happens is businesses start to fail. Well, those businesses have employees. They don't buy things. And, you know, they, they, they were shipping goods to other people and buying other things. Those don't get bought. And you, you kind of you get into a death spiral of the economy shutting down. And, and then people who need things really need them, but there aren't that many around. So the prices are going up. So you have, you have kind of a combo. You've got the deflation going on in the demand and the goods in the economy. And you've got the inflation going on because you got so much demand for shit and there's not as much shit around anymore, right? Yeah. And, 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 the, and the wheels just come off. I mean, the wheels literally come off. I mean, you know, uh, and stuff just stops working. People, you know, I mean, I mean, let's do another, you know, what if. I mean, what if gasoline went to 20? What if, what if we had a, an oil crisis and gasoline went to $20 a gallon? I mean, it's, you know, could people go to their jobs? Could people, you know, go to work? I mean, that's kind of what's happening in Northern Europe right now. Have you seen the price of electricity in Northern Europe? I saw that in like Germany. It's up like 500%. Yeah. Seen, yeah, in Germany, natural gas in Northern Europe. I mean, they're shutting down idea. nuclear plants and they're, you know, relying on, right. on solar panels right. and things that are intermittent. And it's right. It's but pretty the, nuts. The, the point is that, that, you know, inflation, you know, slash transition to hyperinflation, you know, it, it, it starts to mess up the entire economy. And, you know, and, 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 and one thing is for sure, it generally almost never leads to lower prices. Maybe in an interim period, you'll have a, a slight oversupply and the price will come back down. Like we saw lumber shoot up 300%, came back in, but now it's back up to where it was. I mean, you know, those, those transition periods are very short. And so, you know, it's going to be a mess. I've got a question on the hyperinflation topic. So I generally am hesitant to use that word. Like the future I envision right now is one where we just have persistent right. troublesome inflation for the next few decades. But to actually insert hyperinflation, right? I think the technical definition is like 50% month over month or something like that. Uh, that does seem far-fetched to me. Do you view that as a realistic possibility or do you view this more just as slow, insidious, persistent inflation that looks nothing like it has for the last, say, 30 years? I, I actually I actually think we will have the ultimate ultimately I think we will have hyperinflation. Now I don't think it's gonna happen instantly like some people do. I mean some people are kind of like it's happening tomorrow. No, I mean my time frame, guys, is kind of um I, I think this I think that it'd be kind of two, three, four, five years from now. <laughs> oh, I thought you were gonna say twenty years. When you no, were saying, you no, were trying no, to prepare no, us for like, no. I was thinking, oh, he's going to say like, it's 20, 30 years away. And he's like, oh, it'll be like next year. No, no, I, I think, I think we're well on the way. And I don't, I don't think you can put this one back in the box. I really don't. I mean, they did put it back in the box after 08. Yeah. But you know, this one, this one's bigger. I want to, I have a question for you about that. So I've read before and I can't remember who, who said this, but it makes a lot of sense to me. So in 2008, I, I yeah. wasn't really invested much. I was fairly young at the time, but I had I was working at a company that almost blew up. 
And I saw enough of it to understand that like things are really messed up and I need to start understanding what this is. So that's kind of started my journey through all this. The question I'm getting at here is in 2008, they had this bank um, explosion or like the, this, this mortgage problem, this bank problem. And basically the sovereign level took that risk on themselves by bailing them out. So now the risk moves up a tier from, from the corporate level to the sovereign level. And so now we're at the ultimate sovereign level where you can't just kick this can up any further is really what I'm, I mean, that's a simple, there is no intergalactic level, right? The aliens haven't shown up yet to allow us yeah. to, to debase their money. Yeah, there is no there, there is no Deutsche Ex machine that's going to save us. No, there yeah. really isn't. I mean, and and really the only thing that, you know, which is why it ensures that what's going to happen is the sovereign currencies are going to going to fail. I mean, make no mistake, hyperinflation is an absolute lock. The only issue is the timing. And I could be wrong. It could be 10 years. I mean, I know you guys have referenced the fourth turning. We all love the book. I mean, they tend to last 10 to kind of 20 years, maybe as long as 30. If you consider 08 was the kickoff, yeah. you know, 10 years was 2018, 20 is 2028. 20, I mean, I, I can't imagine this thing going into the 2030s. So you, so just to clarify, you you think on like a two to five, we'll go upwards yeah. of 10 year time frame. We're going to experience an environment where prices are literally meeting that definition yeah. of things are going up 50% month over month. Yeah, the currency is going to fail. The currency is going to complete and outright fail. Yeah. Here's where this gets interesting. And this, this transitions. One of the things I've heard you say recently that stuck out to me the most, I think you said this on TFTC yeah. with Marty Ben, was you talked about the valuation of gold compared to the global economy. I think it was at some yeah. point in the late yeah. 70s. You can correct me if I'm wrong. And it ma- basically made it up to 7% of right. global assets, right? Which in today's dollars would put us at, like, I think you had it at 35 trillion. So to wrap in what we just covered, we're saying the inflationary event that we're potentially on the precipice on is going to make that environment when sound money was most recently in high demand look like absolute nothing. Okay? Yes. Which for me, this is just the best past example we have of how demand moves in these inflationary environments, which almost working off this puts our low bound to seriously, it puts a low bound around 35 trillion. Yeah, no, that's 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 absolutely right. I mean, it's I mean, you know, it's kind of ridiculous and it's hard to envision. But I honestly think people who own Bitcoin and gold are going to be silly, silly wealthy at the end of this transition. I mean, like off the charts wealthy. And it's going to be like, holy shit. How did you see that? How did you get? I mean, it's literally going to be, did you own one of those two things or didn't yeah. you? I mean, that's that's going to be the difference. Mm. People will look back on this in retrospect and say it was obvious, you know. But, of course. Um, it seems fairly obvious. I mean, when I, to me, at least because I've, I've been kind of down this rabbit hole of hard money in, in Austrian econ for 10 to 12 years, and it seems pretty obvious. But again, that's why at the beginning, we kind of went over this, like, what are the blind spots? Because as an example, like back then, I don't know if you remember who Doug Casey is. He was a big... Oh, I know him very well. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, yeah. So his, his newsletter was something I subscribed to back in 2009 yeah. and 10 and read. Yeah. I mean, to me at that time, he was like Ray Dalio to me. Because I didn't know shit yeah. about anything, but I read his newsletter. And one of the things that he 
was a big, big, well, there's two things he was huge on gold, obviously, and gold miners. Mm. And he recommended a bunch of what would be probably shit coins and gold, <laughs> all these tiny yeah. little gold miners, yeah. Yeah, little companies. Yeah, exactly. And, um, that he suspected that interest rates, the feds interest rates would be up substantially. Um, and he, he said this in like 2009, 10, and obviously he was completely wrong about that. And that's, yeah. um, that's just one of the things that I, uh, think to myself when I think about this, like, I know I feel like I know what I'm talking about, but maybe I don't. I mean, Josh, you bring up a very good point, which is to say it's not going to be linear between here and that endpoint that I envision. And I, I think actually you would, you would do well. And when we, when you post this, I'll try and post this chart as well. There's sure. a chart by Myrmican Capital out. You may have seen it, which shows the, the price of gold in uh, Weimar marks during the hyperinflation. And they're just these incredible zigzags. Okay, incredible. And, mm. you know, look, bull markets, you know, Richard Russell used to say this, bull markets try to throw you off and they make it very, very hard for, to ride. Okay. And, you know, mm. this thing could, it's, it's going to be um, both gold and Bitcoin. These things could be wild beasts, absolute wild beasts. I mean, they both could go up and down you know, amazing amounts. And that's why, again, you don't need leverage in what's coming with this reset. Yeah. You know, you just, you need to hodl your coins or, you know, your Bitcoins or hodl your, your physical coins, gold and silver. Um, and just, you know, for dear life, because when it's all said and done at the end, and I'm making the assumption that at the end, these come to be the accepted forms of money by mankind. But I think in the gold case, it's pretty clear that that would be true because 5,000 years support it. And I think in the Bitcoin case, that will be true because of all the, you know, all the advantages that are so obvious in the Bitcoin solution. So, yeah. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny. I mean, people say, well, what's your target price for Bitcoin? I don't know, you know, 10 million a coin, 100 million. It doesn't really matter. I mean, how do you price it at that point? Because the dollar is really not valuable anymore. I mean, it might be 10 million a coin. Gasoline might be $1,000 a gallon. I mean, yeah. you know, eventually at some point, you know, we're going to go to Satoshi's as as a unit of account you know and so we'll and we'll all settle in and say okay well i get it a gallon of gas is two satoshis or whatever the hell it is yeah do, do, do you know what i mean yeah i think what what this transition makes me think of is just going back to what ownership means of bitcoin so to double back to the cold storage thing and just i mean our audience has heard us I mean, we are huge cold storage proponents i mean we're talking to nvk the the creator of cold card yes, next week we're so constantly important. telling people important. to store this we're telling them not to do it before they're ready, though. Well, and, and to, and to self-educate and to really develop a deep level of knowledge before you take your whole stash and put it on a treasure. Yep. Right. But what, what this makes me think of is like when we think about how violent this potential right. transition could be that we've just covered, there could be, and the two of us talk about this, there could be like, I envision like a very hairy few years for Bitcoin. Oh yeah. Like as the band-aids getting ripped off and things are at peak pain, they could come at this thing with reckless vengeance and where you have this stuff stored yep. could matter tremendously. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that that might be the time when they realize, holy shit, this is a thing doing it to us. Let's outlaw it. Let's completely outlaw it. Oh, and by yeah. the way, let's confiscate. And you if know. your if your coins are on Coinbase, mm -hmm. they're bye bye in that environment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And let's you know, and 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 furthermore, we're gonna we're gonna chase you through the chain, you know, because we can see. I mean, one of the advantages about gold is it's a bearer asset that's pretty hard to track. I mean, they don't keep records of when it's sold, so you know, you got those coins buried in your backyard. You know, the government doesn't know it. It's pretty hard to trace them. I mean, 
Remember every trend, I mean, you know, the cynical think that the CIA developed, you know, Bitcoin. I don't think that's true. I think Hal Finney and a group did it. But, um, you know, they, they can see where all these coins have gone. You know, and this argues for the coin join and, and you know, mining your own coins and a lot of other potential solutions. But, but yeah, they'll all be trackable. And that's, that's somewhat of a problem. The coin join is like, in my mind, putting your Bitcoin in a, in a jar and burying it in your backyard. That's how I envision it. A little bit, yeah. I mean, I think everybody. I think everybody would do well to have some Bitcoin that's that's totally clean, that that you know um, can't be traced back very easily or followed to where it where it quote unquote came from. I mean, because yeah, they they can. I mean, you know, they go to Coinbase and they just say, okay, give us your customer list, give us your buy records, show you know, and then they're going to come and they're going to say, okay, Josh, we see you got X number of coins here. Where are those? You know, and I mean, they they could do that in theory with gold too if they went to gold dealers, but. See, I lost them in a boating accident. You know? It's classic. I mean, I, <laughs> I sold them. Yeah. Uh, one thing I want to cover is your tech background. Obviously, you've got a very profound and strong tech investment background. And I've heard you talk about parallels you see between the boom of, of the internet and then this technology. What, what similarities do you see here with Bitcoin and, and say the advent of the internet really taking off? It's the same thing. I mean, I see, you know, there's a lot of FUD back in the beginning of the internet. I was an investor. You could just see what it was going to do. It was obvious to me, but, but I also, you know, um, look, you, you could see the dogs were eating the food. You could see the adoption and, you know, in the beginning it was clunky. I mean, I, you guys are it was before your time, but I mean, I started off on a 1200 baud modem and, you know, with a green screen. I mean, there was no browser. I mean, Windows wasn't even that heavily adopted back then. So I do remember how long it took to download porn. Yeah, exactly. Just a, one JPEG image took about 30 seconds. I'm not even sure JPEGs had been invented then, <laughs> but I, I remember sending I remember sending papers and letters, you know, through it in the early days. In fact, that's how I got into it. A guy gave me a business card and said, send it to my internet address. I said, what the hell is that? And it was a CompuServe dial-up internet address, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, so look, we don't know how it's going to unfold. I mean, I wish I had been smart enough to know that, you know, Amazon and, you know, Netflix and that's, you know, I mean, um, uh, you know, the other network, Facebook, et cetera, that they were going to grow in the way they did and have the value in the way that they did. And that's the same as true of this area. We don't, those be some things that seem obvious now that won't come true and vice versa. I mean, there were a lot of stupid internet ideas, but underneath it all, the basic protocol was sound and the usage of it kept growing. And I see the exact same thing with Bitcoin. I mean, the exact same thing. I see yep. all the doubt and, and look, all these problems get solved. I mean, you know, in the early days, just again, probably before your time, I mean, there's this company called AOL, which was, you know, one of the leading internet oh, yeah. service providers. God, it was awful. I mean, by the way, and just, you know, I'm not doing them any favors, but Coinbase is awful. I was just, I was actually thinking Coinbase when you said AOL. That's like yeah, my I mean, parallel in my they're, mind. They're frigging customer service. And I mean, just everything about them is awful. If I ran that company, I'd be ashamed. Just a shame. It's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. But, but what we can, what we can say and what you could see and what happens is the market solves problems, right? The market, you know, AOL went away. Other, you know, services, I mean, things... The market solves problems, and these problems will get solved. I mean, yeah, people say, well, you can't use it to buy coffee. No, you can't, but the Lightning Network, you know, along comes Jack Mahler's, the Lightning Network lays on top of it. Bingo, you got a coffee buying solution, you know? Yeah. And so all these things are just going to get taken care of over time as technology is wanting to do. And, and I mean, it's, it's like such an exciting and fabulous time to be alive because, you know, all of these benefits are going to get added in, in, in a gross fashion to society 
And in this case, they're not all going to get skimmed off by the elite who can front run it by printing money and, and getting a quintillion effect. You know, in fact, it's it's the revenge of the nerds or the revenge of the little guy because we've all got these coins and they don't because they, they're stupid. They think they're smarter than we are. and They're not. You know, and so, you know, having one coin, I mean, I talk to people who say, well, you know, God, I can't buy them. There's 60,000 and you paid six. I'm like, dude, you know, in 10 years, they're going to be 600,000 or 6 million. And I was telling you to buy them at 60. What, you know, what's the problem here? What's the yeah. problem? I the mean, numeral is- bias is such a huge problem for people in oh, general, yeah. especially people that don't have a lot of money. They think like, oh, I'm only buying 0.001. Like that's such a small oh. number, but it's all about, you know, the... The percentage of network you get to buy, that's what matters. That's exactly right. And there's, you know, it's, this thing can compound at 200% for year upon year upon year. And, you know, when you do that, it's just, it's amazing what it does. I mean, I kick myself every day that I didn't understand the, the value of a growing network in something like a Google or in something like a Facebook or in something like an Amazon. I mean, a growing network that's the leading one in its category, it literally just sucks in everything around it. Yeah. And, and, and in terms of, you know, classical securities analysis and investment analysis, you know, investment analysis never really factored in the value of network growth. And it, it, it's a geometric thing. Yeah. And that geometry versus linear, yeah. it's just friggin' huge. And I, I can't see anything else that looks like this, right? It's the most asymmetric bet I've ever seen by far. I was thinking about that book because I've, that's a book I've attempted to read and it is, man, is it dry. But that was written in like the thirties, I think before. I mean, what was there? The telephone network at that time? That was really the only network for them to think, you know, through. And it it probably wasn't one of those things that anyone really had thought through like these network effects at that time at all. Yeah. And yet AT&T was one of the all time great investments for just that reason. Yeah. It is hard to, to picture but I, I really think it's going to come to fruition where this thing is just totally ubiquitous. You know, oh, people yeah. joke like, we don't have TCP IP conferences anymore. It's going to be the same for Bitcoin. It's just going to be everywhere. It's going to be accepted universally. No Absolutely. one's going to think about it. Absolutely. It's going to hum beneath so many things. And we're at the yeah. very, very beginning of that paradigm shift. That's exactly right. I mean, it. Um, yeah, that's exactly right, in my opinion. And, and I think at this point, I'm kind of interested in your thought on the rest of the... Uh, the rest of the crypto market, you know, we actually say we've stolen this phrase from this guy named Joe Carlosare, who came on our podcast a while ago. He, he describes himself as a Bitcoin money maximalist. And I think that's kind of where we sit. We think this is the this is going to take over the value transfer right. base layer for for humanity. But in terms of these other projects, who the fuck knows? But be careful. And I think for me, not having invested through the dot com boom. There seems to be a lot of froth surrounding this concrete that I'm guessing strikes a chord for you for the way things unwound in the early 2000s. Yeah, it completely. It's the exact same thing. I mean, pets.com. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's true. I mean, there's having said all of that, I, I, I hesitate to call you know anything not Bitcoin a shitcoin because you know I, I try to be respectful of technological innovations and use cases, and you know. Um, I mean, look, Lightning, you know, is it just sits on top of the Bitcoin network. I mean, ETH, let's take Ether, for example. I don't like the way it's centralized. I don't like the guys who run it. I don't like a lot of things about it. But it's turning out it might actually be, you know, the level three application layer. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And there are probably other cryptos out there right now that are doing something that's meaningful that will get grafted onto Bitcoin 
that will in and of itself have value. And so I try not to discourage people from some of, you know, some of the advantage, some of the, the technological innovation that, that will take place and can take place. But yes, having said that, I'm incredibly skeptical. And, you know, my test when I was a venture guy was always just kind of, are the dogs eating the food, you know? And, and so, which is to say, is demand growing? You know, are you, is the user base consistently increasing? And to me, you know, people say, what are you most scared about with Bitcoin? Well, if Bitcoin got to be dull and the user base stopped growing, I'd be worried. But I don't see any evidence of that anywhere. I mean, I just, in fact, I see the opposite. So yeah. as, and, and I've got in, in my quarterly reports and somewhere I, I try and put it on the web again, when you post this, you know, we've all seen these adoption because we're kind of right at the 10% inflection point right now. And what is it? You know, it's four, 14 years to get to that. And they say that then it's another 14 to get to the top of the curve. So, you know, in 14 years from now, 100% of the world will own Bitcoin. Yeah. Some good anecdotal evidence for this, this, you know, interest growing is, uh, I don't know if you guys saw this on Twitter, but there's a new podcast called the progressive Bitcoiner and no. I haven't listened to it at all. It's hilariously, uh, ironic name, but especially if you understand Bitcoin, but it's good. I mean, I think it's good that people from different mindsets, different backgrounds are interested in this technology because it's good for everybody. Oh, absolutely. And, and to be fair to progressives, a lot of this comes out from a good place, Absolutely. their heart's in the right spot, right? And, and truthfully, with money being inserted relentlessly from the top, it makes perfect sense that people are like, it's about time we have some springs come up from the bottom. A Absolutely. So you can see why Bitcoin does hit the progressive ethos in that it, it is going to attack the wealth gap head Absolutely. on. It is going to empower the disenfranchised. It's just going to do it in a roundabout way that I think a lot of them don't expect. Yep. I mean, I don't agree with a lot of the progressive ideas. I certainly don't agree with a lot of the far left ideas. But I'll tell you, when it comes to like 2008 and the bailout and the Wall Street scams, I mean, you know, Bernie, Bernie and I are right on the same page, right? I mean, you know, the guys at the top of the yeah. pyramid basically feathered their own nest and they screwed the rest of us. Yeah. You know, liberal and conservative. Didn't matter, right? It's true. Um, let's end here. Uh, let's talk about composition of portfolio. We're not looking for specifics or nailing you down, but I'm sure some people, you're still obviously gold, Bitcoin. If you're just talking to the average person, what's kind of your recommendation? Look, first of all, I wouldn't, I, I'd stay away from bonds. I mean, they're just, they're toxic. They're not going to hold any value. The currency is getting debased and it's going to continue to get debased. The only question is at what rate. So that's, that's a no brainer. Second thing is I, I would own my house versus rent. And the reason is, um, just, you know, you're building equity and it's a real asset. Um, yep. Once those two things are taken care of, you've got your savings. Um, you know, I could make an argument to be 100% Bitcoin, but the volatility would scare some people. And they might get blown out. So that probably it would partly depend on your age. Um, I'll tell you what I've done personally. Um, my PA, I'm about 60% Bitcoin, 40% my gold fund and gold stocks. Didn't start out that way. Kind of helps when Bitcoin goes up 400%. You know? Yeah, it does. <laughs> I mean, right? Yeah. I mean, would you, you would never, would you ever recommend anyone rebalance their Bitcoin in their portfolio? Uh, I haven't. I mean, some people might want to. Um, you know, I, I, I just as I, just as I look at people who are 100% gold and zero Bitcoin, and I say, I wonder why, and I ask them why, and I try to explain to them that I think they're making a big mistake. I also look at Bitcoiners and think that you know, gee, are you, are you sure you're 100% Bitcoin? Are you sure you wouldn't like to have 
in something that doesn't depend on the computer, the web, the laws, you know, everything else that, you know, you can walk around with and buy shit with. I mean, you know, some silver coins, some gold coins, is it doesn't 10%, you know, and some people call, you know, coins and, and gold is gold. They're a CDS on Bitcoin failure and Bitcoin superior. But if Bitcoin were to fail, you know, gold and silver are kind of always there. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, so I, I think all Bitcoiners ought to own a little bit. Um, you know, what will happen to me is probably over time, I'm not going to sell any of my gold or any of my gold holdings, but they're going to become a smaller percent if Bitcoin com- continues to outperform it, right? Um, the fund I manage, I should say, was 100% gold and gold stocks until a few years ago. Started taking positions in Bitcoin. They're now about 20% of that fund. I think at a cost basis, they were only five and they've quadrupled. So again, they've kind of grown into, yeah. and who knows? I mean, you know, look, if, if they double or triple again, um, you know, I might have an issue where I'm going to have to think, do I want to sell any Bitcoin to allocate to gold? And how am I going to communicate to all, all my investors gave me their money because they believe in gold and silver and gold and silver mining companies. So I can't just pivot and say, hey, you know what? Bitcoin's better. Let's just go buy all Bitcoin, <laughs> you know? So uh, yeah. I, I think everybody has to, I mean, to me, to me, in the old world, you allocated between bonds, which were very safe and stable and stocks, which were aggressive and alpha and gave you growth. Um, so I could today make an argument that um, gold or the old the bonds, you know, kind of they're stable. It's sound money. It'll grow slowly, but consistently over time, it'll hold its purchasing power. And Bitcoin is alpha. It's going to grow like crazy. And, you know, it, it's it's your upside. Yeah. And And they used to say, you know, you did it kind of based on your age. If you're you know, you subtracted your age from 100 or whatever, and you did the allocations of gold and big or gold and or bonds and, and stocks in that you know fashion. I mean, if I were young, I'd probably be 100% Bitcoin. I like that you idea know? that you have uh, that gold replaces bonds and Bitcoin as the, uh, the equities section of your portfolio. That's I've never heard that. I, look, I think everybody needs to, you know, to me, to me, what gold is, gold is really actually become people say, well, hang on, we could have deflation. Are you sure you want to go? Gold to me is cash that can't be printed. Think about it that way. Yeah, it's cash that can't be printed, and and in a world where there's a lot of printing going on, so it's just, it's a, yeah. you know, it's not going to grow a lot, but it's safe, and, and and you know it doesn't it doesn't ever have eighty five percent drawdowns. You know, I mean, it a big a big down year for gold is twenty percent, big, and that's rare, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like what you said. I believe you said this to Marty as well, and that gold's largely been demonetized. So when people are saying hey, Bitcoin's going to eat up all the monetary premium in gold. Well, most, if not all, that's gone already. It's gone. Gold's, re- gold's really just jewelry. And it you know, costs about 1100 bucks to mine the average ounce of gold. Sells at 1800 You know, it gives the miner some money to make the capex necessary to build the mine. And, you know, there's a little monetary premium there, but not a lot. I mean, not, not a lot. But there's a lot of sound money upside ahead, if our thesis is correct. Luke Groman turned me out of this guy, friend of a friend of another. And, you know, basically they say gold, gold will only reset once in your lifetime, but that'll be enough. <laughs> you know, yeah. if, if, you know, think about it. If there are a thousand claims, we think there are between 300 and a thousand claims out there on every ounce of gold in the world, paper gold. Okay. Effectively. And if, and, and, and so this is like a fractional reserve bank where, you know, the bank doesn't really have your money in there. They just have some percentage of your money in there. If everyone went to the bank at once, you know, you've got, it's a wonderful life and a bank run, right? Well, there could be a bank run on gold. So if everybody who has a paper claim on gold said, you know what, just give me the give me the, the physical gold, uh, it doesn't work at this price. There's too much paper. Yeah. And so 
So this is what we're talking about, a monetary failure and a gold reset. And it, it, it very much could occur. You know, and, and by the way, there are some big there's some big entities in this world that are voting for it to occur. You know, and I call them, you know, Russia, China and India. You know, they don't own Bitcoin. They've all made the bet that, that you know, they, they can see what's going on in the U.S. They know that our money's unsound. They know that this is going to blow up at some point. They know that there's a problem. But they haven't been smart enough to embrace Bitcoin, at least not to my knowledge. Maybe they do yeah. behind the scenes. But publicly, what they've embraced is gold and silver. Right? It seems a lot like the old saying that, you know, generals are always preparing for the last war. Right. That seems very much like what the India and China. And I, I think and that's right. And I'm not trying to diminish the value of gold. Gold was my first love and it transitioned into Bitcoin over the years. But I think that's fighting the last war personally. No, I, I, I completely agree. It's, it's inferior to Bitcoin. There's, there's no doubt it's inferior. But the notion that it's going away as compared to fiat, I like to go back to the numbers I've stated many times. I think they're important numbers to understand. $400 trillion of fiat shit in the world, okay? Bonds, stocks, cash. This is a, that doesn't include real estate, just fiat shit. $400 trillion, okay? $1 trillion of Bitcoin, $5 trillion of tradable gold. There's 10 or 11, but that includes museums and central banks and, you know, jewelry and stuff. Well, jewelry is tradable, but it's, it doesn't really count in the bullion and, and coins. But $5 trillion of tradable gold, $1 trillion of tradable gold mining companies. So that's $7 trillion of sound money stuff, okay? $400 trillion of paper stuff being controlled by governments that are absolutely convinced that they need to continue to grow that number to keep the economy going, right? What happens when some piece of that 400 says, holy shit, I'm getting my ass handed to me here. I'm losing purchasing power at 5 or 10% a year, like they are right now, right? I got to get into some of the sound money shit. So how much of that 400 has to trace, chase the seven to make the seven become 14 or 21? Not much. Yeah. Now, and, and by the way, you know, the one of Bitcoin is a smaller number than the five of gold. So it takes five trillion of additional demand to double the value of the gold. Or is it, you know, one trillion of additional demand will double the value of Bitcoin. So you can see why Bitcoin's going to do much better than gold, right? But they're both going to go up. The reason they're both going to go up is there's a whole generation of people that don't trust Bitcoin. They're my age. They're called boomers. And by the way, they also have a lot of the money. And so they're going to chase gold first. So, you know, you're just front running them because usually what happens, I mean, to me, on the sound money game, and I, I say this, you know, I, I view gold as the gateway drug to the heroin of Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Gold's, gold's marijuana, right? I mean. And there's no Narcan out there, folks. <laughs> yeah, there is no Narcan. Yeah. So so basically, basically what we're saying is, you know, once you decide you got to get into sound money, I mean, a lot of guys my age are like, well, yeah, I, I, I get that argument. You know, some of them are smart. Some of them say, well, I'm just going to skip gold and go to Bitcoin. Bitcoin's a better form of gold. Some of them, they do come to that conclusion. But more, more than not, they come to the conclusion, okay, well, if you say there's inflation, I'm going to buy Bitcoin. I'm never going to touch that. Or I'm going to buy gold because I'm never going to touch that Bitcoin thing. But once you're in gold and you start realizing that Bitcoin's kicking your ass, and that you've got this kind of legacy asset that, as you say, is the last war, you know, you start thinking to yourself, well, maybe I need to have something over here in the, in the Bitcoin space. And that's how many of the gold people understand this. I was at the New Orleans conference on this subject and they asked the question, how many, and this is a, this is a hardcore gold bucks. Average age was probably 60. This is all old guys who own gold. Okay. And they said, how many of you own Bitcoin? Half the hands went up. Half. Wow. That's awesome. They get it. Now, after I made my speech where I was arguing to, that they should all own some Bitcoin, 
couple of them came and they just wanted to argue with me like you wouldn't believe. I mean, they were just. They didn't throw cabbage at you? Oh, almost. No. I mean, just, you know, you're full of shit. There's no, it's, there's no there there. I mean, they were Peter Schiff's. Just yeah. completely, it was, it was unbearable. And I said, look, that's fine. Then don't buy it. But, you know, don't blame me when your rock doesn't keep up with, you know, this digital substitute because it's not going to, you know, in, in, in purchasing power terms. This is really important stuff. Does the amount of education that's required to really wrap your head around this thing, it's more than a little bit. It is. It is. It's, I got to tell you, the reason I'm in it, the reason I'm doing it, it I, I hate to see good people get hurt. I think this country's full of lots of good people. And I think they're getting hurt. You know, I think the government's pissing on them and telling them it's raining. I mean, I look <laughs> at what's going on with, look at what's going on with all these drugs. I mean, I just watched this uh, dope, dope sick on Hulu. What a horrible show. And what a horrible story of, you guys have seen this, I'm sure, no doubt. You talk about Narcan and the fentanyl and all the all the stuff that's happened with the narcotics and, and so forth. And you guys are in the first responder business. I mean, it, what's happened in this country is tragic. I mean, this was the best country in the world after World War II. And, you know, we've, we've shot ourselves in the foot repeatedly. You know, and there's a long story behind that, my views on that. But the long, you know, the point is, I want to see us going back to being the best country in the world again, by far. And I think that returning to sound money will do that. And I think the only way we're going to get there with everybody intact is if we educate people. And that's why I really applaud you guys and what you're doing, because you're you're trying hard to educate people. And to me, that's that's really like, that's God's work, right? I Thank mean, you. It, it, uh, you know, people, you know, I want to see as many people as possible protect themselves from what these fiat guys are doing to us, because it's criminal. It's absolutely criminal. Well, at the firehouse we're at, just about everybody's buying Bitcoin at this point. I think we there have like go. I think we have like six full nodes running in the firehouse right oh, now. Man, how awesome <laughs> got, is that? Yeah, we we're we're doing some we're putting in some work over there. That's really great. Offline, I want to talk to you about running a node because that's my next step. I feel like I need to support the network, and I'm I'm shopping for nodes. I've got Umbral on the top of my list, but I want to talk to you. Go Umbral. Before we uh, hit stop here, anything you want to cover that we haven't gotten to yet? No, I think. I think we really hit all the stuff. I feel like sometimes I've droned on a little, but I hope it was helpful. Um, I think you guys are doing great so. stuff and happy to come back anytime you like. Definitely. Thank you. Enjoyed every minute of it. We'll have you on again, undoubtedly. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Larry. Thanks for listening into the show. If you enjoyed this discussion, be sure to subscribe on whatever app you're using for podcasts. And if you have an extra minute, go ahead and leave us a review. You can also follow us on Twitter. We're at blue underscore collar BTC. We invite questions, comments, and inquiries of any kind, and our email is bluecollarbitcoinpodcast at gmail.com. We look forward to you joining us next time on the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast.